Hi, I'm Phnom. Hi, I'm Martis. And we're the hosts of Future Future, where two designers talk about the future of everything. We're in the business of turning science fiction into reality for a better future. And today, we're going to talk about the future of space. So now you must be asking yourself, why is nonfiction talking about the future of space? Well, I think it has a lot to do with my background. So on top of being an industrial designer, I happen to be a space architect. So a space architect is someone who is trained to design habitat for other planets or other celestial bodies, rovers, crew transfer modules, which is basically crewed spacecraft uh, that goes from point A to point B. I have a passion for space, I have a passion for humans, and I happen to live in a time in, in the history of humanity that's starting to merge the two together. So based on that, why nonfiction? Nonfiction's goal is to turn science fiction into reality for a better future. And that better future needs to coincide with the way we design the foundation of humans in space. So one question that we get asked a lot by everybody is that, well, a lot of things are really bad on this planet. Why are we spending so much time, money, and effort developing for space? Well, my answer is, do you like the life you live on this earth? Do you like knowing what kind of weather is going to hit your city for the next week? Do you like having GPS in your pocket or uh, on your phone? Do you like eating the food that comes from crops that have been developed, you know, using technology developed in space? So all of these technologies that have been developed eventually for planet Earth start as experimentations in space. The ISS has been above the sky for about 20 years now, and more than 6,000 experiments have happened up there experiments in physics, experiments in biology, growing food up there, experiments on you know, microbiology like CRISPR and, and manipulation of DNA. Uh, we've done a lot of tech yeah, and robotics experimentation up there as well. So a lot of great things are being discovered and researched so it actually benefits people on Earth. And I think sustainability is part of that story too, because like for the first time ever, we can look back upon our planet. We can start to plan out, oh, well, we see that the earth is heating up or is it cooling down? We start to see deforestation or fires. And this helps us plan things. This helps us sort of gather all the information we really need to live a better life and develop our planet in a better way. Think about what's been happening in the last 10, 15 years. The uh, private sector has stepped in the game and uh, developed a lot of really, really cool technologies like reusable rockets, for example, or uh, more efficient ways to go to space, cheaper way to go to space. Now going to space costs you about $4,000 a kilogram. That's a lot less than it was 20 years ago. We are also sending people in space in orbit in uh, board the ISS, and we're thinking about sending people to the moon and to Mars, right? The moon, we're gonna get back to it in 2024 with the first woman on the moon, and by 2030, you know, NASA is thinking about sending the first crewed mission on the surface, and that's probably going to be a, a crew of five to six people going there. And uh, it's going to be a lot more difficult than everything we've ever done in technology, not only in space, in everything. Because it takes six months to go to Mars, and then you have to stay there for about a year and a half, and another six months to get back. Imagine having to stare at the same five people for the next three years 
in extreme environments, in microgravity or partial gravity. That sounds very daunting. But when you think about the conditions of humans in space right now, they're living in a tin can. It's a really small environment. It's very tight, enclosed, lots of recycled systems. And there are a lot of things to consider about that. Yeah, if you look at any video or image of the ISS, its interior, and how there's stuff everywhere around you, right? There's no ceiling or floor. Uh, when you're floating in microgravity, there's literally stuff everywhere. And anything that floats away or towards you can be dangerous if you don't know at which speed um, and for what purpose. So everything is attached. You know, the astronauts themselves have Velcro straps on their laps to make sure that, you know, nothing flies away. Eating is difficult washing yourself, going to the bathroom. You can only imagine the things that can float in the air and, and actually pollute uh, the air you're breathing. So all of these are very new environments, even for highly trained astronauts. And we, we need to create a space that's a lot more optimal for them. When you think of the history of humans in space, it's all started with surviving. What will it take to take a human being with a, you know, beating heart and, uh, and a brain and eyes to go to space and to come back alive, right? That was the beginning of it. And then, you know, lately we've been sending people in the International Space Stations for months at a time and surviving is not enough, obviously. What they're doing up there is that they're living. But when we think about the future and how long the missions are going to be, living is probably at this point not enough. How do you create an environment and objects and technology for the astronauts so they can thrive? Thriving is about creating an environment that supports their emotional well-being, their physical well-being. Here at Nonfiction, we work with a lot of transformational technologies. And this is about taking well-being, performance, and longevity so we can build a foundation of human flourishing. And this is really important for uh, balance in life. Some of the technologies we work with uh, help people perform better, both emotionally and physically. We help them sleep better. We help them uh, calm down and reduce stress. So imagine if we can apply some of these technologies to outer space. We can measure galvanic skin response or heart rate to lower stress levels and allow them to do their jobs better. Astronauts now are well trained in STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. And it's, it's so much more than that. We want to bring play back into outer space. We want to bring sociology and psychology into it. And we do this with environmental design or architectural design or experiential design. Really injecting colors and textures and quality of life to support an environment that is conducive to better performance and joy up in space, whether you're on the surface of the moon or Mars or floating in microgravity. So the takeaway of this episode is that the future of space is human. And we have the opportunity here to build it from scratch in an extreme environment that is literally not designed for us. But we have to build a foundation of what architecture is, what living is, what thriving is, and take all of that learning and bring it back to Earth to really change the way we live on Earth for the better. So we encourage you to make comments below and tell us about what, what inspires you about space. What uh, is hopeful about space? What do you want to see? And what's really motivating you to look to the stars? And with that, we thank you for joining us on this journey today and look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye.